celebrating another milestone in this podcast's history. Welcome to the one-year anniversary edition of Handle Pod. This, this podcast, uh, this episode is going to be very similar to that first edition which went out a year ago on Monday Just Gone, um, in one way in particular which is that Seba Garcia isn't here, uh, he's exhausted from walking his son around the zoo, or so he claims today, we don't believe you Seba, we did see something on Twitter saying you're on another podcast tonight, so... At least we know you didn't get eaten by a lion though, so no. we can all be happy about that. No, that's true, uh, but, but your turncoat nature has been noted. <laughs> expect you Mind back yourself. next week. Um, you've already heard English Dan. Hello. Uh, and Australian Dan, who you've not already heard, but you will do now. Hello. And uh, Seba has been replaced by a, a newer, younger, slimmer, better model this week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've, for the second time on Hand of Pub, we're delighted to welcome Joel Richards to the table. Hello. We're in Australian Dan's bachelor pad this week, as we were last week. Um, Actually, really I just realised, is this the first time we've had three Englishmen? No, because we had Ralph. Yeah, yeah, last week. Who, who was an honorary Paraguayan. Um, With an Argentinian and an Australian, so yeah. I feel a bit overwhelmed here. Well, we do apologise. <laughs> um, we won't mention the cricket. Much right. as Lakeside Lizzie would like us to, uh, no. but no, we'll, we'll refrain from that. I already did. Whoops. Um, the the one topic of, of conversation is, of course, the internationals that have taken place over the last few days. Uh, the South American World Cup qualifiers, rather than Uruguay's very impressive win over Italy yesterday. Uh, you're part Italian, aren't you? Don? So this is two losing teams. You're, sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, on Friday, was it Friday? It seems like a long time yeah. ago. Now, on, on Friday, um, Bolivia uh, became the, the second team in this qualifying campaign to achieve an historic result against Argentina uh, by taking a point and scoring in Buenos Aires for the first, I think, the first time in, in World Cup qualifying history. Um, but it was certainly the first time they've, they've not lost to Argentina away. Um, that follows, of course, Venezuela uh, just over a month ago getting their first ever win against Argentina in any competition. Um, and then on Tuesday, which is last night as we record, and probably two days ago when this goes online, we uh, we saw Argentina, f- I won't say finally, because they did impress in- against Chile as well, but uh, turn turn the game around and win a game from a losing position for apparently the first time since the 2007 Copa America, um, when ironically they also beat Colombia. Uh, that, was, that finished 4-2, and on Tuesday it was 2-1 um, in Barranquilla. Uh, in, to some extent, it's kind of gone as we'd have all, if we were Argentine, have been happy with, I guess, beforehand. I mean, we said last week that uh, a win against Bolivia and a draw against Colombia would consist of two good results, and they got a draw and a win. They got them the wrong way round. But guys, what, what did you make of, uh, let's start on Friday, what did you make of the Bolivia game? Well, I think we're all going to remember that Bolivia game for one person, one moment. Uh, Martin Di Macellis's awful piece of defending, which basically led to the Bolivia goal. Tried to control it down by the corner flag. Took far much time, far too much time about it. Marcelo Martins, the Bolivia striker, just muscled him off the ball and smashed it home, which put Argentina under quite a lot of pressure. And credit to them, they did respond. I think we saw it in both games. Savela made a decent substitution in the first game. It was Lavezzi who came on, scored with almost his first touch off the bench. And so I think the one thing we'll take from that very disappointing result because Argentina. Are pretty much expected to beat Bolivia, especially at home. And I think, unless one of my esteemed colleagues would like to disagree, we've probably seen the last of Di Michelis in an Argentina shirt. Anybody want to dispute that? No, I think uh, as we saw in the in the second game, uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, Bordisa was injured early, and rather than turning to Di Michelis, um what are you giggling about that? No, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just laughing. What, what we know you're going to say. <laughs> no, rather than turn to Demi Chelis, uh, he he called on um, De Sabato and a, and a Estudiantes player, which is pretty, pretty damning. 
Maybe <laughs> <laughs> well, considering that Demi Jealous was a starter in the previous game and now he's not even the, you know, the first choice sub and, and then Studiantes, what is he, 33, 34-year-old? Yeah. And, yeah, and also that Demi Jealous is... Um, a player who, who's played in, you know, for one of the biggest clubs in Europe for right. for a very long time, whereas Leandro de Sabato is, as you say, 32, 33, and, and has never played outside Argentina. Well, never played club football outside Argentina anyway. Um, well, um, so I was at the, going on about the Bolivia game, I was, I was at the game, um, and yeah, Argentina were unlucky a, a little bit. I mean, they had one perfectly good goal disallowed because the referee didn't play advantage. Messi sort of... Um, Scampered upfield and was fouled, but managed to pass just as he was fouled off to Iguain, was wasn't it? Yeah. Who scored? Mm-hmm. But the referee blew the whistle and called it back for the for the foul on Messi. So that would that would have put them one up. It probably would have changed the complexion of the game. And there was you know they hit the bar a few times I think, and they were unlucky. But again, it, it's, it's it is a bad result against Bolivia. And yeah, the crowd were not not happy by the end of it. They were cheering on Clemente. Got a huge reception. The the, the Boca left back. But everyone else, uh, Demi Chelis was crying as he left the field, I think, because he probably knew what, what was what was coming for him, as in probably his last game for Argentina. Uh, yeah, that was my impression from being in the stadium. Anyway. Yeah, on balance, they'd probably be very happy with four points from the two games, but uh, probably expected it to be the, the other way around, getting the home win against Bolivia and, and expecting a harder game in, in Colombia. And as we were saying just before we started recording, the, the second half... Uh, Argentina improved a lot, but Colombia were very, very poor. Mm. So, as you said, on balance, I think four points is, is fine, but, but there's a lot of question marks still really from that. And so, um, no competitive games until June, um, which gives Savannah plenty of time. There's a couple of friendlies arranged, probably against Switzerland and against Germany, in between then. So, there's still a lot of question marks, though, because, as you said, Demichelis is, is the player who's taking uh, a lot of the headlines, and obviously we're talking about him here, but, but there's a lot of question marks really about pretty much all positions apart from up front but even there we're not still not clear whether it's best to, to go with three or with two so so lots of questions still um, and certainly lots of uh, yeah lots of mull over for, for Sabella and also another uh, as you were talking about the crowd in the Monumental and, De- and Demi Celis uh, crying as he left the pitch down it occurred to me that 2011 really hasn't been a very good year besides playing home matches in the Monumental because mm. um, this isn't first of all it's not the first time that Argentina have been uh, disappointing uh, admittedly they didn't get to the Monumental uh, for the final of the Copa America um, and of course with River and, and with, with sorry Argentina, if I brought back it, 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 it did I don't know if it's well, you, Sam you'd like to bring up what happened on the Sunday following the <laughs> Well, yeah, we can we can come on to that. We can come on to that later. Okay. But, yeah, oh, you're right. Goodness. It wasn't a, a very good weekend generally <laughs> um, for yeah. for the Monumental. Yeah. Um, we should mention as well <laughs> that the stadium itself was very very disappointing. Like the crowd in it yeah. was very disappointing. I think, I think Dan, well. you told me the other day that maybe twenty five thousand oh, at the most, yeah. well, which the is, is sixty. Well, the capacity is forty yeah. at the moment because they've closed uh, for security concerns. Yeah. Closed. Right, they're only selling. I think it was 48,000 tickets, but they only sold 25,000. And then if you compare that as well with the sites in the uh, Metropolitano in Barranquilla, like, Colombia absolutely packed it out. It was a sea of yellow, like, noise all the time, you know. And I think, yeah, on balance, Argentina can be very, very happy with the the three points they took from Barranquilla, but apart from that, they were playing, we shouldn't forget that Colombia were, were very weak and they didn't have Falcao, they didn't have Guarín, they didn't have Sanchez in the middle all injured and Perea, uh, the central defender, was suspended. So it's kind of four very, very key players for them. And still, as we were saying just before recording, kind of for 60 minutes, you could probably say they had the better of the game. They were like controlling. They didn't look threatened at the back. But I think it's almost a cliche to say, to kind of question the, the strength of mind and the strength of will of Colombian teams. But in this case, it was kind of true. The goal went in on 60 minutes pretty, I wouldn't say fortunate because it was a nice move, but the keeper Ospina could definitely have done more to hold the ball on a low cross. And as soon as the goal went in, you could see the heads go down and then it was Argentina's to win from that point. So, yeah, I mean, three points, it's going to go down in the books, it's going to go on the table as a good result, but definitely before June next year when the next qualifier is, there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah, I'll give Argentina some some credit for just for the, the, the circumstances where yeah. there was a lot of talk in the lead up about how hot it was going to be and, and it, it, it had a, a, 
a sense of making excuses before the fact kind of thing. But it was it, almost like watching the English press leading up to a World Cup <laughs> yeah. in a hot country. In a hot country, right? Uh, so I mean, they had all the excuses ready, and they. But I mean, it was a it was a really tough away fixture. Four days after playing against Bolivia, they were one nil down at half time to to which was a fortunate goal because it was deflected free kick. Um, and we did see the best of, of guys like Messi and Aguero, um, where often Messi one of the things that he's criticised for for the national team is not kind of leading from the front. And we did see him basically score the first goal, set up the second. So it helped set up the second. They so. definitely looked happier in the second half when um, Aguero came on because yep. before that he was playing as kind of the second striker behind Higuain and in front of a four-man midfield which had pretty pretty minimal kind of thrust going forward and two full-backs as well, Zabaleta and Clemente who really didn't push forward and overlap that much either. And it did seem, I think the commentators said it at one point, kind of, they're just waiting for Messi to do something and yeah. it was kind of like that and obviously he had three men around him because obviously there was pretty much no one else for Colombia to mark them Messi to, to some extent um, that's kind of inevitable though because one of yeah. the things that everybody uh, well okay maybe not everybody um, but a lot of people questioned initially was the the selection um, that Sabella put out which included a midfield four of whom three at least in part were, were holding midfield it's essentially Pablo Guinassu of, of Internacional de Porto Alegre another colleague of mine came up with an absolute classic when I gave him the team sheet uh, talking via Skype he writes to me Dan excuse my ignorance but what the hell is a Guinassu <laughs> <laughs> well yeah it's a shaven headed very ugly creature Argentine hard yeah. man who plays in Brazil yeah. you wouldn't want to run into him in the dark alley definitely not um, and along with him was Rodrigo Brania, who I was just saying before we started recording, I, I was quite impressed with against Chile in the first qualifier um, when Javier Mascherano was suspended in the holding role. Um, and Mascherano himself uh, with, with Jose Sosa in, in the other spot. Kind of, I suppose the idea was that he was going to be linking the two lines. Uh, um, and and so it, it seemed to me, I, I kind of mentioned at half-time on Twitter, that I, I got the impression that Savella was trying to give an, the fuss about the conditions and everything was trying to keep the match as close as Argentina could keep it going into the second half and then try and open it out a bit maybe with a couple of changes which in the end he was forced to do perhaps earlier than he'd have liked to um, by the loss of that that very late goal right on the stroke of half time um, and sent Sergio Aguero on at the break instead of maybe what 15-20 minutes into the second half um, but I thought it was a good reaction from Argentina uh, Aguero thought it was a good reaction from Argentina he would do because as he puts it very modestly after the post-match interview, <laughs> after I came on the pitch, we started attacking more. Um, I do think that's one of the one conclusions though, that we can take from, from these games is that if they're all fit, Iguain, Messi, and Aguero have to start yeah. up front the three of them, and yeah. then and then work work it backwards. Everyone always says you know you build your teams from the back going forward, and that's true. But um, while there's, there's still a number of positions really up for grabs, maybe apart from uh, maybe say Zabaleta, Romero, and goal. Mascherano, um, yeah, you got those three up front. Basically, those are the only other positions yeah. apart from those three up front that that are guaranteed for me, anyway. Um, and and yeah, sure. Aguero sort of said, yeah, when I came on, we improved, but it's true. Yeah, and, and in fact, and the, and the winner, he started and he finished. Mm. You know, it was his ball from just on the edge of the box that mm. set uh, Messi away. So you know, those three, I think, if. Um, that's really where Argentina needs to look towards is building a, a system in which those three up front can can operate and do go about their business and, and that way I think uh, mm. if they find that they'll be um, they'll be fine. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, as, as you say, you start from the back, but when you've got three of the, the top what five or ten strikers, without a doubt, mm-hmm. probably in the world, um, why why not start from the front and, and worry about the rest? And of speaking of the back, another positive to come from that game was uh, Federico Fernandez. Uh, at centre back, um, he had a really, really good game. Actually, very solid. Yeah, yeah, very, very solid. solid. Um, made a few late interventions, and aside from that, you know, clearing everything, uh, spraying a few balls forward. Yeah, he did. I, I would just say one thing about this though, because beforehand we were talking about Sosa, and he said they gave, they gave the, boat, the ball away an awful lot. Um, Fernandez also, I mean, in the first five minutes particularly, every time he got the ball, he just hoofed it forward. And sure, that's probably not. A, his own uh, of his own volition, but rather something Savella probably said. You know, this is what we're going to do. But it, it's between the two of them. It's you know a game plan where very hot, very humid, 
difficult uh, conditions as everyone was talking about so much to then simply hoof the ball from 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 the back up forward give the ball away on many occasions is kind of you know I think that's sort of uh, questionable but in terms of his certainly his positioning and as he said his, his, his marking what have you he's, he's, he's strong and I'm fully expect him to, to, to stay in, in the first season I think so yeah. Oh, yeah, after that performance yeah. Uh, even yeah, as you're talking about guys who've locked down their position probably for the next game you can probably talk about him Clemente who had a couple of good games He played, yeah he played well in both games actually um, and as you say Mascherano I guess the data for him was whether he could possibly play at the back as well or in midfield mm-hmm. uh, but the, yeah and then you said as you said I agree totally the, the front three uh, if they're fit they should be playing I wanted to ask about Clemente as well because uh, we were, I think, probably having a, a drink or two with, with Joel a couple of weeks ago. I'm sure it was you who I remember saying it to me in conversation. Um, and, and you said that if uh, previous Argentina managers just called up sides full of players from Europe, the press all complained that nobody from the local league was getting into the team and, and, and they felt that these players are the ones who are going to give more to the side and, and so on and, and run harder and what have you. Um, and now Sabella's actually picking a few of them and there were all these complaints about how, oh no, but they're the wrong ones and what quality of, of people like, you know, Branya or Celso or whoever. Okay, Celso's not with the local league now. With um, lower, lower profile players. Yeah, yeah, very lower profile yeah. and, and a group of players who Sabella's very familiar with as well, yeah. having played for, the stu- uh, for Estudiantes under him. Um, and Clemente is, is the one, really, for me, from, from the local league who... I don't really think there's much argument. I, th- I think perhaps some of that is to do with the fact that, as we've discussed on several previous episodes, the Argentine national side aren't exactly um, embarrassed with riches at, at left back. Um, but Clemente's done everything that's been asked of him. And I was no, as long as, you, as we, yeah, as you say, as long as you've got someone there who's doing the job, then he's he's, he's pretty yeah, but, but stable there at the moment. It, it seems to me kind of indicative of just the whole uh, sort of idea that there is here that, that the local players they, they never seem quite sure about whether the local players are, are good enough or not. Well, I'd say for me the criticism really from this side has come because, as we mentioned, I think last week and we've touched on the local players that are coming in. Are all from, are all kind of alumni of of Sabella from Estudiantes. So from doing that, obviously there's advantages. He's kind of picking players he knows. He knows the players respect him. They're going to do what they tell him. They're going to run for him. But at the same time, it's definitely opening himself up. If Argentina happen to lose or draw, if they win, no one's going to question it, of course. But if the results don't go their way, there's going to be these accusations of favoritism, and people are going to point. Uh, other players in the local league who could do a similar, if not better, job. Well, so I think there is, yeah. I think we said last week it's a risky strategy, and against Colombia we can say it pretty much paid off. Yeah, certainly. But I think in the case of Clemente, there's, there's no argument no, because Clemente, there, there's simply no other options. No. But people and like neither in Argentina nor nor abroad. I mean, there's Rocco who hasn't performed, and in fact, and Rocco is a player who Isabella knows. Yeah. He, Brought him through because he knows him from us to the end, and then he dropped him because he didn't perform. Uh, there's Monson maybe in, in France, but Monson's a player who's never really, um, really done enough to stake a claim for. He's, he's in the squad, but yeah. in terms of starting, um, Papa Veles he's had plenty of chances for the national team, and certainly Clemente is, is much more dynamic than, than mm-hmm. Papa. But at the same time, I'm, I'm certainly of the opinion that. Uh, Clemente is a red card waiting to happen, um, and his career has happened throughout his career. As I said he, he's, he's he's a good player, and he's definitely the best option right now. But um, but that's certainly been part of his part of his game. So you know, we'll have to wait and see what, what happens there. Uh, I think Joel has a because the, the guy who's been questioned the most has been Sosa. I think in this team, as in when you've got guys like Pastore. That's it. Yeah, there's so much talent in that particular <laughs> position, as opposed to maybe at the back, a fullback that. The inclusion of Sosa is always going to be the most controversial. So we're just going to let Joel um, kind of explain why Sosa is a faster option than Pastora. Passion, I think Sosa's getting a very hard deal because uh, because he's not Pastore. That's that's the bottom line. Because um, and it is a it's an interesting question I think for Savella is like why isn't he playing Pastore more? Because um, but. You know that's that's something that Savela knows, but but obviously if you have Pastore, you need to be in a very certain role and not give him any responsibilities uh, in a deeper role. Um, and and against uh, Colombia, Sosa was at right back, winning the ball. Um, he was working very hard. He gave the ball away a fair bit, um, but 
Fernandes did that, Mascherano did that, many other players did it. And then when it comes to linking in, Messi quite often had the ball, and twice this happened, Messi had three players on him, Sosa was free, and he didn't get the pass. When And Messi either was fouled or, or lost the ball, but, you know, this is... So clearly Sosa doesn't maybe have the, the full uh, support of some of the other players, which is another issue. But but the point is that Sosa is a, a lo- goes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is a low-profile player, works mm. hard, uh, he, he's a good footballer, you know, he's not, I'm sure he's not world-class maybe like Messi or Guedoa in their positions, but um, but I don't think he was that bad. He vastly improved in the second half, as did the rest of the team, and um, and I think he's he's a more dynamic option than somebody like uh, like like Pastore. But then, for me, Pastore would be one of the first names on the sheet. So. Yeah, and I think uh, that's exactly what Sabella is thinking in having Sosa in the team. Uh, he's, he's even said it himself that he, what his idea is that to win the ball, these guys who pressure high up the pitch, win the ball quickly and pass it on to sort of Messi, Iwain, whoever. And that's exactly what Sosa does. But for me, he's just he does give the, way, the ball away too much and it's not quite up to the standard of, of international but yeah I think that's what Sabella's thinking at the moment if, if I, I'm just interested in uh, I, I think we can all agree in fact we pretty much all did agree um, a few minutes ago when you suggested Joel that the, the front three would be Higuain with Messi and Aguero just behind whenever they're fit and ready to play and so if we kind of assume that the, the shape is going to be something like what Argentina uh, played the second half with yesterday which was like a 4-3-2-1 really um, whereabouts would you put Pastore in, in that having said that He'd be likely to be in your team. Well, exactly, and that's, that's, and that's the it's major the problem. Like, can, part, can you yeah. afford to have Pastore, well, a front four of Pastore, Iguain, uh, Messi, and, and Eguero, um, and then the rest just defending? Is there the quality in defence, in holding midfielders, and in the defence? I don't think there is, and that's, that's the problem. And then also with that, what, what about Di Maria, mm. who offers a width, a certain mm. amount of width that those players don't really, obviously, Messi moves around pretty much the way he wants as does yeah. as can Aguero um, and also that although I'll just jump in quickly and say that <coughs> both me and Seba have criticised Di Maria many times before on this podcast but it has to be said he's in great form for Madrid at the moment after starting the season not short of criticism but now he's firing on all guns and of course he had a very good game against Chile in the first qualifying yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 anyway I see Aguero uh, <coughs> I think when he's playing that front three he's, he's probably going to be used more as a left-sided Further forward than Messi, for example. So Messi is a bit further back, com- combining with Pastore in front of. So there would be, still be three mm-hmm. guys behind them, right? So I mean, that's. I mean, if you got Mascherano or Gago and somebody else, in theory, it should be enough cover for so many offensive players. But yeah, again, that's that's Sabella's job to figure out. <laughs> but it's not my house. The kind of puzzle that you probably really like if you're going to be inter- managing any international no, exactly. attacking point of view, you might have to be maybe Germany or Argentina. But as pundits, we prefer to let other people make the decisions to <laughs> just criticise them because exactly. it's a lot easier. Absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's the way it's done. Um, what else is there to, to chat about? Well, I feel like I'll throw in a couple of these questions that I have from Twitter because they're sort of related. I think we've answered some of them slightly. Um, Beardbetoff. Beardbetoff. Says. Fantastic. <laughs> Savella seems happy calling up um, 30 odd plus players. Then why not Alessandro, Aymar, and Coluccini? And then he said, what is, and what is the point of Sosa? Which Joel has just explained. Yeah. That kind of overlaps, as we mentioned before, recording with, with the one question that I got, having uh, only asked for questions about 30 minutes before I turned up here, from Josh Marson, who says that with Bodiso's injury, and given that his. Uh, not not his, but uh, Colaccini's current form for Newcastle is resurgent, really. Um, is he going to be back in with a shot at the national side as well? And Colaccini is one of the names that you've mentioned there. Well, yeah, I've heard, I've heard this a lot as well in the last week or so, when, especially after Di Marcellus's error and, obviously, Argentina's defensive frailty is, is no secret. Like, it's there for us to see. And especially from people that follow closely the English Premier League, they see Colaccini, obviously, a lot more than we do and... Apparently he's in like excellent form, and he probably can't do any worse than the people who have been in. I think. Obviously, we've got a so long, long time. Than Demi exactly. Obviously, we've got a long, long time until the next qualifiers. I think seven months. So anything can happen in that time. Someone could come through. Other people are in contention now, have a dip in form and and drop out. But I'd say if Conaccini can sustain his form over a whole season rather than 
two months as it's been right now in the in the Premier League. I think I don't think Savella's afraid to pick anyone. He's not gonna hold any reputations against people or past performances. If he's doing the job in the club, then he'll probably probably get a while. And one thing that he would also bring back to the Argentine setup, which uh, we talked, I think it was in the, the post Copa America special with Jonathan Wilson about uh, stupid hair mm-hmm. in the Argentine <laughs> national team. Yeah. And, and Conachini has that in abundance, not perhaps to quite the same level as uh, my favourite left back ever, Juan Pablo Sorin, but still, it, it's something that's yeah, it's, sorely it's something missing. Is missing yeah. uh, Dami Luis is, is flying the flag for Brazil, but really, what is there for Argentina at the moment? True. <laughs> I think um, the, the other thing is look at what players how they perform for the national team. Uh, Colasini's had plenty of chances. He was part of the uh, one of the, the several teams that won the Under Twenty World Cup, and uh, I think the last time he played was against Spain when he was very poor. He was had a very poor game. It was the same game Ansaldi played in um, under Maradona, and up in I think it was in Barcelona sort of in, in December a couple a year. Or two was it ago. the Catalan? The yeah. Catalan team, yeah. Exactly, against, right. against Catalonia, you're right. And uh, and so, if Colocini's in good form, then it makes sense mm-hmm. to bring him in. Um, but there are other options. It's not like there's there's only four no. central defenders. Otamendi, I still don't understand why he's not being given mm-hmm. more of a more of a chance. Uh, he missed out on the Batista, and Tevez used him, but didn't go with him again uh, this time. And there's a few others like Nico Pareja or Juan Forlin, who's been doing pretty well at Espanyol and is kind of not not too spectacular, but solid. And essentially, that's that's what you're after. So, so there are a few names there. Um, but as you said, if if Colocini continues the form, and, and certainly if Newcastle stay at, in Champions League spots where they're at the moment, then, then I'm sure it's inevitable that that, that the, the, the hair will come back. And Joel, we know that as well that you you do watch a lot of La Liga because, of course, you lived in Spain for a few years before you moved here. Uh, one thing that we've discussed before on on here, but I don't think we asked you before, is what you might think of um, Javier Mascherano playing the same role that he's been playing for Barcelona. Um, and dropping back into centre back because this was something that a lot of the, the press here were discussing as a possibility before the Colombia game that Mascherano was going to play in defence for that game and it didn't end up transpiring. But would you give that a shot as well? Uh, well, it's, this, it, it's no different from the same question as to why Messi doesn't play as well for Argentina as he does for Barcelona, and it's the system. So um, Mascherano is a much more mobile, I think, centre back than about some of the other options at, at Barcelona, and the fact that they have seventy percent of possession, if not considerably more in many of their games means there isn't that same kind of pressure um, whereas in uh, Argentina obviously it's a very different situation that said uh, Machado is one of the most criticised players at the moment and everyone's saying he's been a long way from his uh, his expected sort of level and performance level for, for quite some time now so so maybe that would be that would be an option but, but I think he'd play a very different role and be far more involved uh, in, in, in defending for Argentina than he is at Barcelona, so, yeah. so I'm, well, not sure, I'm not sure it's such a... Yeah, exactly. There's some of that criticism, one, one thing that, that occurs to me sometimes when people are saying it is that, and I think it's something that Mascherano himself has said at times, is that he's now training mm. for his club all the time as a centre-back, and, and that's how he's thinking now rather than as a midfielder. Mm. So then having to come back to the national side and play, what is, OK... It's not as if he's being asked to play as centre forward for Argentina and centre back for for Barcelona, but it's still a different role. Um, could that feed into to his relatively poor form for for his country? Well, as I mean, form his form with Argentina goes in terms of it being under the under scrutiny. Really goes back to when he was given captaincy by Maradona, and, and that's way before he was playing centre back with, um, with with Barcelona. So, so so perhaps, but as you said, I mean, he started out. He's been you know he's. 27, 28, you know, 10, 10 years of top-level football under his belt as, as a central midfielder. So I don't think it's something he forgets. But um, but particularly yesterday, everyone was like, what on earth is going on with, with Machadana? Because it's been going on for some time now and he's just not that authority in midfield. So, so maybe given that, given the experience that he brings to the team and the situation with other centre-backs, maybe it's something that Savella should seriously consider. He said he was thinking about it, but opted not to. So... Mm. Have to see what Mr. Savella decides in the future. And I know one name that's kind of completely fallen off the map, more because of injury than of any poor form, is uh, Water Water Samuel, who was you know the undisputed first choice, but he hasn't played a game I don't think since the World Cup it would be, yeah. and not even the last game he got injured in the group stages I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. 
Is yeah. there any way back for Samuel? Like, I don't know his yeah. current fitness situation, but I'm guessing once fully fit, he's got to be yeah, in there. Or <laughs> Even though he's out. getting on as well, but I mean, yeah. they, they, they would happily take him. If it's definitely. But do you know if he's playing now? Is he? I think he's, he's just sort of come back. Right. Yeah, I think he came back fairly recently. Okay. Um, but so he's, he's started playing, but hasn't really got enough under his belt to have hit top form yeah. again yet, from what I've read. I'm guessing Argentina will probably play again in February, like in friendlies. So, I'm guessing yeah, if he can have three months of uninterrupted play, he's got to be got to be considered. Mm. Absolutely. Um, so the the standings. Have you got any more questions that refer just? Well, to we could ask. Yeah, this could sort of relate. Well, this, the first one, this is from Ursus Actos 59. And the first question is, where are Tevez's daughters? <laughs> I don't know if that's a serious question or not. But we're we talking think about they're in Buenos Aires. <laughs> we think they're in Buenos Aires. With Tevez, and he's not in Manchester. <laughs> right. And the second question, which is the one I was talking about, is more relevant, is uh, has, has a will public opinion of Sabella turned after the win versus Colombia? And the first well, um, the first thing to say is that I don't think his he was I don't know how bad the public opinion was about him before that I mean it was obviously the situation was quite dire after the Bolivia game but I think people are, have been willing to give him some kind of leeway right for me I think the situation with Savela we should remember of course that Savela has only six games of international management under his belt two of them were pretty meaningless friendlies with the domestic selection against Brazil so also, that would be yeah six with the the foreign side yeah I've got it now. Let me try that again. Okay. <laughs> we should remember that you know Sabella's only got six games under his belt in international management, not including the two friendlies against Brazil, which was a domestic selection. And I think you could probably say the the atmosphere at the moment is one of not quite knowing. You know, I think people are are willing to give him a try, but they've also got used to. Coaches coming in, coming out, promising instant results and going. So, I think for the first six, twelve months of his of his career, of his tenure, he's going to be going to be watched. People are going to be weighing him out, seeing what coach he's going to be. So, I don't think there's going to be any rush to judgment at this point. But at the same time, there's not going to be any uh, rush to. Uh, I did hear a few so. sort of insults hurled from the crowd after the Bolivia game, but I don't know what happened to almost any coach yeah. who, who pulled out that result. Um, one one thing I found noticeable so far is that a lot of people. Sort of complain about the number of defenders on the pitch all the time, as if the shape that they're put out in is completely irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, people were complaining during the Chile match that that Argentina were playing too defensively. They want four-one. I mean, well, I think uh, another good point, which I was just reading in your excellent Soccernet column, Sam, uh, nice. was that uh, it was really vital to get this kind of. Um, Spectacular, if not spectacular, and at least uh, um, impressive win against Colombia as the last game before they you know, before this big gap until June. Um, so that's the one that's going to linger in the memory. So he's definitely bought himself a bit of leeway with that, rather than sort of going out with a draw against Bolivia. Or whatever. And also, I, I, as I said right at the very top of the episode, um, right at the very start of the episode, I. Oh, I like the top. Sounds like broadcast. Yeah. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? The top of the hour. Yeah, yeah. Um, the top of the show, can we call it? Why not? <laughs> let's, let's do that, yeah. As I said at the very top of the show. <laughs> um, it's, what, what, what did I say at the very top? I forgot. I don't know. Uh, what, I, no, hang on. what I said was it's the first time that Argentina have come from behind to win a game um, in, well, essentially, like four and a half years since the 2007 Copa America. Against the same opposition, in fact, coincidentally. Um, but there's, from the psychological point of view, that's got to do something for for the players who, for such a long time. Okay, it's not it's not as if they're no offence meant English down, but it's not as if they're Diego Simeone is racing, who are so unused <laughs> to falling behind they just never know. that when they do fall behind, they seem a little bit maybe unsure of what to do. Although it's only happened what once or twice in the season. It happened once, and we came back to draw, and nearly won the game. I don't know what you're talking about, sir. Okay, that's <laughs> <laughs> well out of that comment. Isn't it? <laughs> You can, I mean, you can you can see what I mean. Where it's it's difficult to say exactly, or say actually a better example would be, and, and uh, this is uh, far more painful for me to recall. But it would be River last year, mm. who who set themselves up very defensively and and were obviously trying to nick the goal and try and win one nil. And when they fell behind, didn't seem to have a clue what they were doing. Um, it's not as if Argentina had set up like that. But even so, there had to be when you've not come back and manage to win a game successfully in that length of time there's got to be something at the back of your head when the opposition score first thinking oh god not again 
how are we going to do this now? Because even against Bolivia, they couldn't do it, you know, a few days ago mm-hmm. um, with home advantage and, and by completely dominating the last certainly 20 minutes of that match. Um, so there's, I think there's going to be a degree of change in psychology for the players and the, going back to, to Ursus Arctos' question, um, the real emphasis, I think, is just the, the massive difference, as you hinted down in referring to my soccer article then, um, in public opinion compared with had Argentina not turned the game around and, and had that stayed for seven months as the last qualifying result had, had been a loss to Colombia and you know certainly in the first half quite a poor performance um, yeah and probably and the same goes for a reflection of that is uh, the, the public opinion of Messi as well because all the headlines of, uh, the, the following the day after this last Colombia match were all about Messi you know, Messi finally leading from the front Messi dragging the team forward uh, which means he'll get a bit of a, a breather from the criticism that he gets. Sometimes. I hope that turns out to be true. Because <laughs> I, I feel like we've all said that about five times or something in the last couple of years. It's just that the tides turned. Now yeah. they're on the side exactly, of Messi. Yeah. Suddenly they like Messi, and then the, a couple of weeks later they seem to have forgotten it again and be grumbling that he doesn't yeah. play like he does for Barcelona and why doesn't he score? And like Football fans have got very short memories. I think we mm. just have to accept it. Although yeah. he has now what in the qualifiers he's now got is it two goals in four games? Yeah. Um, having previously not scored for Argentina in something like a year and a half. Yeah, only in um, official matches. Yeah, like. sorry, in, in competitive matches. Well, he has been, um, as he's become the 10th highest scorer in, for, the, for the Argentina national team. Mm. So. so that's, fingers crossed anyway, from our point of view as, as Messi fans, if not Argentina fans, that, that, uh, that shuts everybody up for a while, at least. Um, any other questions on the national side? Um, well, Jessica Gold, I think we've basically answered her questions. What do you think or hope Sabella will do going forward, as in in the future, and how to create more width? How, well, I don't know, we, we talked about Di Maria. And, I think to get more width, they could really do with uh, nationalising the two Colombia fullbacks soon. Armero, especially, <laughs> yeah, is an yeah. absolute beast of a player. Like, I mean, we said, and the whole Argentina, Argentine media have said for about a month now that, you know, they're playing under very difficult conditions in Barranquilla, and of course, Armedo just played a game before that in, in Barranquilla. And still, I don't, he must, I don't know what he runs on, but I want some of it. Like. They were great, yeah, the two yeah. of them were excellent. Yeah. And you're right, they really highlighted what Argentina yeah. don't have, and, and, and that's part of the problem that, and you know, when we're talking about the system and how Messi doesn't operate in the same system yeah. and how it's the midfield is yeah. not the same. It's just not right. that explosiveness about Argentina that you get. Especially, there's more of that. We didn't see it with Colombia because, of course, uh, Guarino is a very kind of explosive midfielder who also, you could say, Argentina don't have the guy who kind of comes from the halfway line, really kind of attacks from deep. And obviously, Falcao, very explosive striker, in a way that Higuain probably isn't. He's a good finisher, but apart from that, he's a little bit more limited, I'd say, than Falcao. And, yeah, I guess there's... They're the kind of players that just aren't there in the in the Argentine system at the moment. And apart from, I mean, you can kind of tinker with that, but you've got to say that overall nothing much is going to change just because the players that can make other teams have that have that kind of power aren't, aren't there. So we'll see. We might see a more coherent, more cohesive Argentina team in seven months, but I don't think we're going to suddenly see kind of a team that's going to be pounding down the wings or doing all this kind of thing. We're going to see... A lot of touches, most of the play still going through Messi. So, no, we'll, we'll have to see. And perhaps one more question that's related to the national team was LP that Al, uh, was, she was asking whether Schiavi has a chance of a call. <laughs> we really hope not. <laughs> is that, isn't that, not, sorry to LP that, but is that not another question along the lines of where it is? <laughs> I don't know. Is that, no, if it's a serious one, I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting one. But there's probably there, has there been talking to Argentine press? Oh, we wouldn't surprise me if, they, if he was ne- mentioned. There, there has been. Well, yeah. I remember six months ago or so. There definitely was. Um, this is, but Skiaba doesn't even know if he's going to be a Boca. It. I saw him speaking no. this afternoon. Mm. He's not even sure he's going to get an extension on his contract. So no, I thought the idea with Skiaba was he was going to play these last six months and then maybe take on a coaching role or, or something like that. As, so, as in fact is Seven Baron, uh, who's it was announced. Yeah. What was it? Not in Boca, we should say. But. No, not, not <laughs> at Boca, but uh, when he retires from Estudiantes, which will be at the end of this season, mm-hmm. he's taking on 
some sort of role. The manager. No, no, they, about he, the manager, he, he, he said that they didn't oh. like that idea. Okay. Um, but some kind of role to do with the national side. But it basically is the manager's role, but it's not called the manager. Yeah. Because, <laughs> because, it, because of the experience with Bilardo. That, this is what the problem yeah, is. Yeah. Right? Bilardo, and everyone said basically Bilardo didn't do anything apart from book the, the, the place, the hotel where they stayed in South Africa. Um, and there was lots of tension there. But essentially what they want is somebody who's that bridge between the youth systems mm. and who's overseeing the project. And that's basically what Vedon would do, mm. which is essentially what Bilardo was meant to be doing, but no one was really happy with how that experiment kind of worked. So... So basically he's going to be the manager, but not be called the manager. Yeah, precisely. Um, I'm going to, I think now, put the microphone down, play our listeners some music, and then we'll come back and talk uh, about the, the domestic scene again, because it is, of course, recommencing this coming weekend. Don't go away. Domestically, uh, welcome back. <laughs> domestically, <laughs> domestically, welcome back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're a domestically run show. We're sitting Ooh, here in, in the kitchen. Uh, Without our tanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by local standards, anyway. Um, <laughs> How? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I do apologise. Um, <laughs> Believe it or not, I've not been drinking tonight either. No, I know that's not nice. No, no. You need it to take off your. No, I just want to clarify because <laughs> what I've just come out with might confuse some of our listeners into thinking I have been doing. Um, what was I going to say? Right, domestically, there, there were two matches. Uh, well, sorry, there were far more than two matches, actually. I don't want to disrespect the rest of the second division. Um, there was one Primera match and, and one um, big second division match. In, in local media terms at least big given that uh, as in it was Ripper playing um, the Saturday match was between All Boys and San Lorenzo or rather San Lorenzo and All Boys because um, San Lorenzo were the home side that was the, the postponed match uh, from the 13th round which as we discussed before was postponed after Jonathan Bottinelli was punched in the face by San Lorenzo Barra Brava I shouldn't laugh but it's <laughs> so very difficult not to um, so the security concerns there, and ironically, really, given that it was uh, not him himself, of course, but an incident surrounding him that really caused the postponement, Bottinelli scored an own goal, um, and all the boys ended up winning 1-0. Mm. He's definitely going out of his way to, to piss off the I believe he's gone to a safe house now and is hiding out. Do we think he did that deliberately? Or? <laughs> no. No, I don't think he did. probably not. Um, that was probably bigger for the, the relegation table for the moment, at least. Uh, it meant that all boys climbed out of the playoff position and San Lorenzo dropped into it. Um, the other game, which was on Sunday, which we have already hinted at much earlier in the show, was River Plate's return to the Monumental. It was supposed to be a triumphant return um, after, of course, the five-match home five home match ban, uh, which has seen them play all but one of their home matches so far in the Binacional, away from, from the Monumental, one in Oracan and four in San Lorenzo. Um, and it, well, they were meant to do very well, and they didn't in the end. They sort of dominated the game to an extent. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm waiting for one of you to disagree with me, but I, I, I saw well, it. As, so it I was did. all down to Tukuman. They were brilliant. Yeah. The, the, Tukuman the pressure, was super. The, the pressure they put River on immediately yeah. just, and they took a really early two goal lead. And basically, then River played fans well, reacted in two ways. One. <laughs> Some of them just pretended nothing really happened and they kept seeing they are going to be champions. The others just booed the team at every, any mistake. Mm. So neither of them really watching what, what was going on. And, uh, and Tukumam were fantastic. Fully deserved win. Yeah, and, and, and River Plate were very poor, lots of misplaced passes. I saw, I saw more than one journalist tweeting oh. after the game that Sab Elishin just called up the entire Atletico Tukumam defence after the way they played in the game. <laughs> <laughs> they, they really were very good indeed and, and it was a classic kind of clever game plan and, and hit them with the sucker punches and the finishes were both very good both of the goals were really good actually really good kind of counter-attacking length of the pitch moves at great pace as well which is something that we certainly haven't um, well certainly didn't see from River a lot last season perhaps this season more so um, but I was just struck really more, less by the game and more by the reaction to it which of course we all know what to expect now 
um, ourselves, but but I thought we could just touch on it for for the benefit of our listeners who aren't in Argentina and who don't realise quite the sort of hysterical reaction that this kind of thing gets because suddenly River lose one game and it's a crisis again. They, they won the, the previous one four one, played superbly. They didn't, you know, I mean they made some mistakes obviously on Sunday, but they didn't exactly play terribly. It wasn't like watching the the, the relegation campaign again last season. And they've now lost two matches all season instead of one, which was the previous one. Um, and and, and yeah, and suddenly, suddenly it's a big crisis, and River don't know what they're doing, and blah blah blah. And in a week's time, if if they win again at the weekend, it'll all be forgotten, and they'll be joint top of the table again. Which where's the where's the big classico coming up against? Boca Unidos. I'm not coming up. I think it's kind of early yeah. early or mid December. Yeah, it's like one of the next rounds. So yeah, yeah. that's a, that's a hard one because it's it's mm. a classico. And <laughs> <laughs> that's never easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's seen as a classico. Yeah, anything can win it. Yeah. I think we should actually we should go to that game. Mm. If it's in the No, I think River are playing at home. Ah. They've got. I can't remember who they've got next weekend, but then the weekend after that they've got Patronato at home. If we haven't talked about Boca Nidos, it's got nothing to do with Boca. No, apart from the name. No, apart from the name, it's not even named after them or anything. It's just a, a club that you know has a similar sounding name, and many Boca fans find it hilarious that. That's the only box of the room will be playing competitive football this year. So. Well, I know one thing I have. And, and they are, incidentally, as well, they're the team who, if, if they and Boca both win their Copa Argentina matches, they will play against Boca um, <laughs> in the Copa Argentina round of 32, uh, which would be quite amusing given that Boca are taking the piss out of River for having to play them this season <laughs> if Boca then ended up having to play them themselves yes. as well. Uh, sorry, Dan, what were you going to say? Yeah, I was just going to say, I know I didn't. I think I saw the last few minutes of the River game on Sunday and I've kind of been following it more or less, obviously. Been focusing on the international stuff that's come through. But I know one thing I've heard is that uh, Almeida seemed to seem to have borne most of the brunt for this defeat and kind of this old rumour that came out when Juan José López was in charge, or Jay Jota, as we like to call him, was that uh, he's getting a lot of pressure from Pasarela in what players he picks to the extent that maybe you know a few people are saying Passarilla's the one who's actually picking the teams like mm-hmm. is this just something because it's River and they're an easy target or could there be uh, a bit of truth in that yeah I'm not sure I think the, the reaction's really quite hysterical because the second yeah. goal first goal was, was very poor defending the second was purely down to uh, an error by um, Alberto Roman who uh, probably won't very, play very, again further. yeah he probably won't, yeah. won't play again but again it's very convenient that the, the non-Argentine player gets all the blame yeah. Yeah. for both the relegation because he gave mm-hmm. away a penalty in the playoff even though the relega- even though relegation is decided over three years but, but apparently yeah. the, the, the fault is this Paraguayan player who gave away a penalty in, in Cordoba um, and it was his mistake for the second goal but there was one individual error uh, the striker Rios had four very very clear chances to score for River Plate and it just didn't go in mm-hmm. so as you said uh, they've lost now two games um, they've got 26 points from, from however many games they were, but they're just three points off the top and, and you're right everyone's suddenly saying this is Riverin's crisis. Almeida's having to say, "Yeah, this is yeah. We're in the, one of the worst positions ever." One of the worst positions ever is being is like Uracan, who went down oh, last season and yeah. are now in the relegation uh, zone from the second division down to the third yeah. tier. That that's a that's, that's a crisis. Being three points off the top with seventy two points still to play for, and isn't isn't a crisis. Yeah. So you know it is River Plate, and there's a lot of emotions going on with the media and with the fans and what have you. But um, there's some some elements, some sectors of the media really need to get a sense of proportion about yeah. how Rivers' year is going because it's I don't think they're, they're being very uh, very objective. Plus, of course, we should remember that this year I don't know if we mentioned it already, but Instituto are the team that went top after that River defeat. And you know, just to get some perspective, if River finished in second and those two are, as far as I can see, pretty they're kind of opening up a lead away from the rest of the league. They finish in second, they go automatically up to the Primera, and no one's ever going to remember again if they finish first or second. Apart from Boca fans, maybe. No, yeah. Yeah, no, no, whatever happens. Well, the thing is, River can't can't win. If they're champions of the second division, they'll never live that down. If they don't win the second division, they'll never live that down. So it's basically impossible. But um, Rosario Central are playing very well. They're on the same points as River, Mm -hmm. and they play in two weeks' time. That's going to be quite. Uh, that's going to be a huge mm. game for. Is it here or in Buenos Aires? It's in Buenos Aires. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, so, so I mean that, that's one. But but again, even at that stage, there's still going to be like sixty, yeah. <laughs> sixty-seven points, we got sixty-six points to play for. So we're still miles away from from defining uh, whether River Garp or yeah. stay down again. One uh, victim of, of River's dreadful season so far has been Saul Laverni. Um, we forgot to mention last week, really, that River beat uh, Defensa, sorry, Defensa Justicia, no, they didn't, they beat Gimnasia Grima uh, of Jujuy um, 4-1, and the first goal was from a penalty that should never in a million years have been given. Mm. Um, La Melanie was in the papers the next day saying, no, no, I, I, everybody was complaining about it, and, and all of you people in the press set shouldn't have been given. I saw it again on television last night. And I don't know what you're talking about. I'd have given it again tomorrow. And, and he, he used this brilliant line, which was something along the lines of, um, you know, any human being can make an error, but I didn't. <laughs> something like this. And um, the AFA have now suspended him for a match. He's not going to be refereeing this weekend because they did decide that, no, it shouldn't have been a penalty. Uh, which, given what, what certainly we all know about Lemon and his personality and everything, I, I find quite hilarious, really. Uh, it's, it's excellent news. Um, in the the first division again, if we can go back to that now, uh, Australian Dan is beginning to roll his eyes and foam at the mouth, and he's almost looking actually sort of doing some of this, uh, moving his his hand around his his mouth. He looks a bit like the Rain Man. Um, so we're going to myself on the head with my palm. <laughs> we're going to play his his theme music and um, and then come into to his weekly very bad predictions. Um, don't go away. I was told while you were listening to that music, listeners, that I was being harsh on Dan by saying his predictions are very bad, so I'd just like to point out that mine aren't any better. Uh, you can read them, and my reasoning behind them, which possibly makes it even more embarrassing, because I've put some thought into it, on Hong Kong Jockey Club each week, and just pay attention to my Twitter feed for them each weekend. What I think we should do is, uh, is get whoever, whichever guest is on to also make some kind of prediction, as we did with Ralph recently. Yeah. His was pretty good, actually. I think he wasn't too bad, but... Hmm. Um, Maybe we could get Joel to predict the exact score on the big game of the weekend. <laughs> I think I think that's an excellent idea. I think that's an idea. Yeah. And the score is... I'm ready for it. Oh, just okay. to recap. The big game, well. big game is, is what, Lennon's? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Don't, don't try and get out of it. Alright, so my predictions. Um, Newell's Tigre is a draw. San Martín de San Juan, all boys draw. A couple of three away wins. Godoy Cruz to beat Argentinos. Olimpo to beat Independiente. Vélez to beat Belgrano. Uh, San Lorenzo to beat Union, uh, Boca to beat Racing in the big game, and, and then Colón to draw with Rafaela, Estudiantes to draw with Banfield, two of the teams right at the bottom of the table, and Lanús to beat Arsenal. Joel. Joel, predictions for Boca Racing. Exact score, scores, yeah. everything. The minutes of the. Minutes. Who's going to get yellow cards? I think yellow cards, you can guess that Theo's going to get one, so that's one. Like Offsides, most of the You've already said Clemente's going to get sent off. I'll, I'll yeah. stick to. No, I said he's a red card waiting to happen. Yeah, yeah, I'd Which isn't. If it comes on Sunday, I'm going to be. I'm going to go for 1 0, and as he's the man at the moment, I'm going to go for Schiavi to, <laughs> to, to leap above the, the, the rest of the, the crowd and from a corner. Very good. That's excellent. I like that, actually. How, how did you do last week on the internationals? I completely forgot what you said. Uh, I said. Argentina 5 0 against Bolivia. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I said nil for the, uh, the second match. Okay. <laughs> well, again, as, as I said uh, earlier on, look, if you predicted a winner, no, if, that press, if that goal had not been wrongly disallowed, it could have ended up yeah. 3 0, maybe 4 0. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Pesky referee robbing you of your position. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, excellent. Yeah. And, uh, Estudiantes Banfield is the one to me that really stands out as the one match that you definitely shouldn't watch this weekend coming. No. Um, it's, it's funny to laugh at Estudiantes. But they are at the moment providing the core of the national side. Which so. is worrying, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure where the, uh, the logic in that is. Yeah, apparently um, Napoli are interested in Chucky Ferreira, the, the young Banfield yeah. striker in Argentina, and the 20 striker. Yeah. So player, perhaps they'll be watching that game, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know he's against Independiente, it was a couple of weeks ago, he hit two lovely, yeah, lovely strikes. I think, yeah, like at the moment he's struggling 
from not playing in a brilliant side, he's not getting particularly great service, but he can definitely turn it on and he's only 20 years old, I think, 21 years old. He's definitely got a future as a centre-forward. Yeah, good, definitely. Good he's going to be really good. Yeah, I, think yeah. I saw him mostly, kind of came to my prominence in the under-20 South American Championships, yeah. where everyone before the before the championships was talking about um, Sam's favourite player, Fulnes Mori, who was going to you know, sparkle in Peru and take, take the South American hey. youngsters by storm. Which one? Because his twin brother played for River the other day and it yeah. turns yeah, out he's a talented one. But only Fulnes Mori was in the Argentina squad for that. Score three, though. He's, yeah, but he was pretty awful. Got, uh, more than Ferreira, right? Ferreira yeah. got four, yeah. I think Ferreira oh, got four. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Take it back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, no, but he was very impressive in that tournament. And he's, no, he's just going to get better, I think. Well, between the two of them, then, seven goals then, in that tournament. <laughs> Ferreira and Funes Mori, perhaps, Savella needs to Well, yeah. Get rid of Messi and Higuain and bring in... By June, they might, be, they might be top of the list. That's true. Ahead of Aguero and Higuain. Absolutely. Uh, other games there that interest well, you guys? Boca Racing, I think, we've got oh, to say yeah. is the biggest one. Possibly is going to be the biggest game of the season so far because if Boca win, that's the championship absolutely zipped up. You can, you might as well present it to him. Is there any? There's no mathematical chance that they can win it this weekend. No, no. That would that would have been if they'd beaten Boca two weeks yeah. ago. <laughs> oh, if they'd beaten Boca two weeks ago. Yeah. Sorry. Okay, good to know. They'll be they will be <laughs> on eleven points with twelve to play basically. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, if Racing don't inflict like seven nil <laughs> crushing defeat on Boca, yeah. Anything other than a win, anything other than a major win, win yeah. that's going to knock Boca's confidence. They have to break their spirit, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that's and of course breaking the spirit would be the point of a, of a thrashing because goal difference wouldn't be used in yeah, uh, yeah. the, the team's no, 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 points. But the, yeah, yeah, you're quite right. But Dan, you were saying earlier you think Racing have a good chance of. of I don't know if I'd go directly to a good chance, but there's always a chance. I know the last two times that Racing have gone to the Bombonera, they've won. Both times going behind early and coming back and winning two one, and it's been very good fun to be in the stadium for that game, those games. And no, you never know. We didn't mention, but Raquelme is not playing for for Boca. They're still without Viatri, of course. Um, Blandi and Marchi have come in and done a very good job as as uh, Chavez and Riti kind of play filling in for Raquelme. But I think you know any team's going to be worse. I think we said. If Rakemwe was fit, then you could pretty much write off the the championship as Bokers if we couldn't do it already. But without him, he's like such a figurehead for the team. There's a chance. I'm not saying that they're going to collapse, but you can see a couple of draws, maybe. Uh, well, how, how many, sorry, but I mean, just how many games has he actually played this season? Because he's missed a lot of games already, mm. and he even plays, without yeah. Boca are undefeated. They're on one of the mm. best undefeated. Runs in the, in the club yeah. history, so I think he played something like nine of the first ten, and then he's played a couple more since then. So he's only missed a two or three, right? Yeah, I'm amazed he's played that many. Yeah, yeah I'm, I, I, I think he's so played a few less, but but either way, the point is he's missed other games. It's not like yeah. he's been no, no, sensitive the collapse, whole no. season exactly now he's no, gone. So yeah, um, and Blandy's been playing excellently. Yeah. You know, there was everyone was kind of oh. Boca need to sign a player when um, when Beatri was was injured, but he's done he's done really really well. So but then one thing that has come up a lot of times, and I've been talking to Racing friends of mine, is that they're convinced that Rakemi always manages to just stick it to Racing, and it makes sense. He's a big game player and it's a classico, and this time we'll never because it's a, a fight between the top two, albeit there's a fair amount of distance between them, yeah. and he's the kind of player you'd want to see in those kind of big games if you're a Boca fan and it's going to be missed I'm not saying Racing will win but it's going to be a, a really interesting game although I've got a horrible feeling it's going to finish 0-0 oh yeah well, I, I can talk about the 0-0 these, uh, these two teams have conceded virtually nothing all year right how many goals between them four 3 for Boca and 4, four for Racing yeah. yeah so yeah. 0-0 would be a very good shout for this one yes Absolutely. Uh, one final point on on the domestic scene, Dan. You had a question about the Copa Argentina, didn't you? Which um, and just how it's going. I'm sure somebody. Yeah. Uh, from Strackrat. Strackrat. We hope we've got your name right there. Strackrat. How's the new Copa Argentina going? What's the question? Yeah, we. In the minds of most people, it's about to start in the next couple of weeks because this is when. The teams from the top two divisions are going to come in. 
I think we talked the other week about some of the potential clashes. And yeah, I think I know Racing are playing on the 29th. And then from there, there's going to be a lot of games in and around those dates in the week. Yeah, so we can tell you, like in, the... say in three weeks, we'll be able to tell you pretty well. Yeah, until like this, I think this is it the seventh or eighth of December or I something. Think that's I think we're going to play around the seventh yeah. of December, so it goes on to the eighth or ninth or something. I'm currently debating whether to go that up to Catamarca to watch a game. Are you really? Yeah, you know, we'll see. I'm looking forward to it. I, I, they're, they're also now talking about opening up one or two um, sedes, as, as they put it, like uh, how would you translate it in that sense? Um, seats. Literally, but, you know, what a, <laughs> play, playing some of the matches in Buenos Aires, um, having originally had this just no, no we're sticking to four, yeah, host cities, yeah. thank you. Yeah. So, having originally had this thing of sticking to four, uh, <laughs> of, of sticking to four host cities, uh, they're now talking about playing some in Buenos Aires and saying, oh no, it was never final, and all this. Well, it clearly was when they well, did it. Makes sense when a number of the teams are. are Playing the two teams involved are, are both in from Buenos Aires, yeah. taking them over to Mendoza or San Juan. Or As we were saying, for I think one of the most ridiculous examples was uh, River against Defensor. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, as, as we've said many times, I think it, make, it makes sense just to have them uh, have all of the teams who were drawn at home playing in the home stadium. I mean, they're talking about this need to federalise the tournament and everything, but when you've got sides from Patagonia yeah. and, and from all over the, the, the north and, and centre of the country and, and the litoral, um, which for the listeners is like the area of Corrientes and Entre Rios province and all of this, why make them travel all that distance when, you know, you've got a club with 200 fans to start with? Why make those... <laughs> But, but why make them? Okay, I, I'm perhaps exaggerating the smallness, but they're, they're really brutally honest when you don't drink some. It's true. Those <laughs> <laughs> these slits. Have some wine and just take the edge off a little. Sure. Yeah. No, no, but right. My, my point is that some of these, like e- even even in provincial terms, relatively big sites like Olimpo, for instance, if they play away in Buenos Aires, they bring an, a really noticeably small following. Like I took yeah. a couple of, of tourists harassing Olimpo a few weeks ago and they had a look and obviously not knowing where the visitors were from they said blimey they haven't got very many fans I was like well the fans have had to travel 800 kilometres if a side like Olimpo can't, can, can only get that many fans for you know, a Saturday night game in Buenos Aires then how on earth are Racing Trelu going to take any kind of number of fans all the way up to is it Catamarca they're playing in like 3,000 kilometres <laughs> it's a mystery it's it, but it's <laughs> It's unfair on the fans to make them travel that distance, is, is the point I'm making. If, if they get drawn away to a Buenos Aires team, then maybe hard enough. But equally, if they get drawn at home, let them play at home. Does this not make sense to everybody? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it does. Sorry, I'm, I'm stuck on the, uh, you know, you've only got two... two. <laughs> I've got, got even spit out. You've only got, you've only got 200 supporters. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was harsher than... So if any um, Racing Trevor fans are in Buenos Aires and they want Sam's address, write to me and I'll pass it along. You can take 200 to his apartment and you're like, no, 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 pretty comfortable. The 200, yeah. 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 Um, No, but, I mean, the the point is... No, your your point is valid. You're quite right. Why make it harder on the travelling fans than it has to be? And, And why make two sets of supporters have to travel some ridiculous... Distance as well. It's, it's a joke. What it would have taken was, you know, you could even do it with a coin toss, like flip a coin, see so plays home or away. Yes, precisely. Or you know, like they're doing the Copa del Rey, which the AFA have been saying the entire time is is the model for this competition. Have the have the team from the lower division who are lower ranked playing the playing at home. Sorry, that's the Copa Brasil, isn't it? They do that. Yeah, no, um, the Copa del Rey is home and away. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You're quite right. And that's, that's certainly a format which doesn't really favour anybody other than than the big teams hmm. because. You know, if you get, you can afford obviously a, a bad result in the first leg, and you can always yeah. turn it around um, in, in the second. So, I mean, I think you're right about this neutral venue, but then it's also, you're right. I mean, there, there's a great stadium up in San Juan, mm. so so why not use it? And I mean, yeah, it's, logistically, it's it's a problem. But then AFA are also funding all of that travel and what have you. Yeah. So, uh, right. so okay. and I'm sure there's there's going to be money available for. For, for yeah, I'm sure I'll travel will be for the 200 pounds. Apple will say it's only 200. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put them up for a couple of rounds. It's pretty good carpool, yeah. Like, get jerky to there and just take a few out. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and incidentally, I, um, we, we sh- I don't know whether you guys have had this, but from the official Copa America uh, 
Sorry, Copper, I can Dina emailing list that they sent a couple of emails around the other day about oh, press accreditations. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, they really seem desperate to get the, the press <laughs> interested. <laughs> sure. I think we maybe should write to them and say, you know, we're, we're probably doing more than <laughs> any of the Argentine press. Yeah. I think we've given away more coverage than any of the Argentine press so far. Um, so, yeah, they should give us some kind of special treatment. I think uh, so. As I was saying, if gives us a lift to San Juan, we'll, we'll go cover the games. Yeah, although after what I've just said, I think I should probably request seating away from the... Anyway, anything else to cover, guys? I don't think so. No, that's it. Good. Uh, well, we hope you've in, enjoyed the show. Uh, first of all, Joel, thank you very much for coming on. And uh, the in- intention, of course, was not initially that you were going to fill in for Sabah. He was supposed to be here as well. But uh, whether you two aren't talking at the moment or what, we don't know. He, he well, say. there are rumours that they're the same person. Yeah. Uh, you've yeah. never actually seen him in you the same place. You've never seen the two in the same place. No. And there are, I know there's other rumours that, um, that there's becoming something of a divide. Yeah. Or a Sebista or a Jalista. No, thank you very much for the invite. Pleasure to be to be here and um yeah, we'll do it again sometime. Excellent, we do hope so. Perhaps a season review so that we can me and you and Dan can look back on our pre season predictions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, we, don't, we don't have to do that one. That's Are you doing predictions as well? I, I did them and um I, I got I got right with one of them. Right. But the other one is, uh, was a Studiantes. Well, kind of Studiantes, I said, so... Uh, yeah, they've kind of gone in opposite directions. Exactly. exactly. Indeed, yeah. Um, Australian down. Good night. Uh, English down. Good night. And from me, it's good night. Good night, everyone. <laughs>